Heavenly Father, O Lord, once again we come into your holy, precious word. We enter, in a sense, into the innermost holy of holies to hear from you. And Father, we want to remove any distraction in our mind and in our thinking that would take the focus away from you and what you would have to say to your people and that we might be people who are soft and tender in our hearts to your precious and life-giving words. Father, we thank you so much for those who are going out this week as an extension of this body, for Pastor Tim Carnes and Ruth, and for our missionaries that are on the ground in those countries and those continents. And Father, we pray for great fruitfulness in their ministry as they go out. Protect them, strengthen them, grant them boldness in their utterance of the mysteries of Christ. I pray that you would do a mighty work and as leaders are trained and marriages are strengthened and individuals draw closer to you and their communion with you and their fellowship with you, may your son be exalted, Lord, not only in this country but all over the world as your people work today and the gospel is preached and your word is preached for the edification of your people to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. We'll turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. That's where we are going to start this morning. The title of this morning's message is The God-Given Gift of Life. The God-Given Gift of Life. You know, here at Calvary Bible Church, one of our desires more and more is that we would be a mercy-practicing church. A mercy-practicing church. In fact, one of our distinctives is, is that we are a mercy-practicing church. And that begins from within as we practice mercy toward one another and then into those in society who are the least of these, if you will. Um, our deacons have a ministry uh, that is focused on mercy ministry. And far from superficial, a superficial pursuit, uh, that desire for us to be a mercy practicing church is really substantial. It comes from, it's grounded in our theology. And our view of what God says about mercy in His Word. So there's substance behind this. In the Old Testament, we see uh, evidence in the heart of God in the Old Testament whereby He is constantly showing mercy to a people who are the least of these. To the poor and the destitute and the afflicted in society. The heart of Christ in the Gospels, of course. When the Son of God came and and wrapped Himself in humanity, added humanity to His deity, Jesus is shown ministering to people with mercy and with compassion, especially toward those whom society tends to to ignore and stiff-arm, if you will, or be indifferent to Jesus was compassionate. And then we see the heart of the church in the New Testament, where the poor and the orphans and the, and the widows and the afflicted are, are constantly to be the objects of God's care via His church, following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. So we see this all over the Bible. The Bible reveals a merciful God who expects and commands His people in imitation of His divine character to be a merciful people. This is especially true toward those who are most helpless in society. Beginning with those who are most helpless in the church. And I ask you this morning, who is most more helpless in our society than unborn children? 
Who is more helpless than tiny human beings in the womb who, from a human standpoint, have no say as to whether they will live or die? And so today, I thought it fitting in light of the 44th anniversary of that that Supreme Court case in 1973, Roe versus Wade, and it being Sanctity of Human Life Day, to speak briefly about this issue of the preciousness of human life. Sanctity of Human Life Day is a day that we need to pay attention to, beloved, because the Bible has a lot to say about the preciousness of life. It is a day when, when we celebrate, we, we reaffirm and celebrate the value of human life, which is something that is evidenced in the Word of God. Many people in our society, you see, have forgotten about this, about the preciousness of human life, that human life is to be protected and is to be guarded. You know, there was a time when most held the common opinion that life was worth protecting and worth preserving. And that to have an abortion was ethically wrong and terrible and horrifying. You don't hear those things common in our culture anymore as before. Things have changed a lot, haven't they? We live in a very dark, dark world indeed. And this darkness is most evident in the popular view held by many people who call themselves pro-choice by many American people that, like that, that abortion is to be supported and allowed, and it is, to be, it is a matter of one's choice or prerogative. This intensified, of course, as many of you know, some 44 years ago. On January 1973, in the case of Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of legalizing abortion. And shockingly, It was decided at that time that abortion essentially could be performed at any time during the nine months of pregnancy. And some people say, well, that wasn't what was decided up to nine months of pregnancy. But the reality of it is, is that if it is deemed necessary by physicians or or medical personnel that a mother's health is in danger, that is possible to eliminate a life all the way to nine months. And that has happened in many cases. It's unbelievable that the decision was in direct violation of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which you know says that no person shall be deprived of life without due process of law. But of course, little babies in the womb are not thought to be persons. They are a nothingness, a substance, a piece of matter or flesh. And so thus, they are not worthy of a due process of law to many people. The government, whose function is to punish the wicked and protect the innocent, failed to do their job and has continued to do their job, has continued to fail to do their job to protect life over many, many years, beloved. Think about the staggering statistics It has been a massacre that is almost unspeakable. Some 57 million American babies have been slaughtered in this country since Roe versus Wade was decided in 1973. Think about that. The number of American babies killed by abortion each year 
is roughly equal to the number of U.S. military deaths, listen to this, that have occurred in all of the wars of the United States combined. We who go out of our way as a great country to protect other countries have been at fault for putting babies to death here in our own country. Approximately 47% of the women that get an abortion each year in the United States have had a previous abortion already. About one-third of all American women have had an abortion by the age of 45. Think about that. By the way, less than 6%, listen to me, less than 6% of these abortions have anything to do with the health of the mother being in danger or with a birth defect of the baby. Less than 6%. And I mention that to you because pro-choice proponents use abortion often as a justification to say, well, uh, the reason why abortion should be legalized is because the mother's health could be in danger or that baby may lack uh, quality of life if it has a defect. So therefore, we're actually doing a good deed here, protecting the mother's health, protecting this little baby who may have a defect and won't have a good quality life. So it's okay to eliminate the baby and to commit murder. We're living in a dark world, beloved, where we justify evil, where we call evil good and good evil. That kind of country. And here in Romans 1, verse 28, we're reminded of God's response towards a nation and a people who is under his who is in rebellion against him as a people who are under his present wrath you want to know what the greatest problem in our country is and the greatest thing rather that we should be fearful of is that america is under the present wrath of god we are seeing the evidence of that god has given america over look at verse 28 And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. When we reject the reality and the truth of who God is, when we turn our back on our Creator and forget the creature-creator distinction and that we are not autonomous, but He is an utter authority over us, God gives us over. He says essentially, you want your sin? You want to live based upon your depraved, or by your depraved thinking? Go ahead. Here you go. Rush into it. You want to suppress my truth and unrighteousness? Here you go. I'm giving you over to your own sin. So that what kinds of things are manifested? Look at this in verse 28. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy. Listen to this. Murder. Murder. Strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Verse 29 also speaks about murder. Which is what abortion is, beloved. We have pretended that God is not there. And we've suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness. 
We pretended that God doesn't speak to the issue of abortion, but God's voice is not silent, beloved, on this issue. And on any issue that we're facing that's difficult in our country or all over the world, God is not silent. He has spoken to us in His Word, even with reference to this massacre called abortion, which is a sin against God and an affront to His holy character and His majesty. What does God think about abortion? What does God think about abortion? First of all, I think the Bible tells us that abortion is sin because of who the source of life is. Abortion is sin because of who the source of life is, namely God the Creator. This is such a basic truth for us as believers. Of course, we affirm the fact that God is the Creator. But most in this world don't affirm that, beloved. Or if they do, they have some conception of who this God is. They create a God of their own, they make a God of their own creation who justifies their sin, who justifies their rebellion. This is something so basic. But something that the pro-choice, atheistic people have forgotten. You know, in the Christian worldview, as born-again believers, we understand what is called the creature and creator distinction, don't we? And it is this, that human beings are not autonomous creatures. We are accountable to God, our Creator, for our persons and for our actions. We understand when we open up the pages of His Holy Word, right from the very get-go, says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. By the Word of His power, He created everything. We affirm the creature-creator distinction, and we live under that and recognize that we are not autonomous. We don't rule ourselves. God Almighty, our Creator, rules over us. Amen? That's who He is. God has made us. He is a source of life. You know, Job understood this. Turn to Job chapter 10. I want you to see this. Job understood this in his own life. Even in the midst of Job's despair, because of his trials and his sufferings, he is reminded of the fact that God is the source of life. Job chapter 10 and verse 8 says this. Speaking to God, he says, Your hands fashioned and made me all together. And would you destroy me? Remember now that you have made me as clay. And would you turn me into dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? You have granted me life and loving kindness and your care has preserved my spirit. Notice that in the midst of his suffering and his trials, Job contemplating the, the craftsmanship of God Almighty, his creator, speaks in such intimate terms, talking about the way that God has fashioned and created him. He says in verse 8, you, you have fashioned and made me all together. You've, together you've round about. You're all over me. You, verse 10, did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? God has fashioned Job. You've clothed me, verse 11, with skin and flesh, knit me together with bones and sinews, granted me life and loving kindness. You've preserved me. Such intimate terms from Job in the midst of his suffering and trials, talking about how God has created him and fashioned him as the master craftsman. 
And not only that, but look at all of the, the, the divine actions here. God, you, verse 8, your hands fashioned me and made me all together. Verse uh, 10, did you not pour me out like milk? You curdled me like cheese. Verse 11, you, implied from the context, you clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones. Verse 12, you have granted me life and loving kindness. Your care has preserved my spirit. Job recognizes in intimate language that God has fashioned him. And Job recognizes God's action as the one who is sovereign over human life. That God has beautifully made him. That God is the the source of his life. And not only that, but throughout the book of Job, he talks about the fact that God is is the one who sustains his life, even in the midst of the hardest of times. Beloved, at the root of human depravity is a failure to do what Job is doing here. In acknowledging that God is the source of life and the one who sustains all of life. At the root of human depravity is forgetting that God is intimately involved with His creatures in the creative act. From before the foundation of the world in planning out our lives. And then in the womb of a precious mother where a baby is formed and wrapped in skin. And God does a masterful job with each and every one of us in a mommy's tummy. The rest of creation acknowledges this. Who the source of life is. But human beings have a pretty hard time doing it, right? That is the problem of Romans 1. We do not give thanks or acknowledge God and, 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 and worship Him for the rightful Creator that He is. But creation does. Look at chapter 12 and verse 7 of Job. Creation acknowledges. It's as if Job says to us here, Ask the creatures... Chapter 12 of Job, verse 7, But now ask the beasts, and let them teach you, and the birds of the heavens, and let them tell you, or speak to the earth, and let it teach you, and let the fish of the sea declare to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, and whose hand is the life of every living thing, and listen to this, the breath of all mankind. Ask creation. Look around. Creation testifies to the divine act of God that He is a source of all of life. And every human being born into this world must, like Job, look around at God's beautiful creation to be reminded of the fact that there is a divine designer and His name is God Almighty, the God of the Bible. Look at creation, says Job. Even the rest of God's creation recognizes God's place as a sovereign creator. What's happened to human beings? What's happened to human beings? But what about babies in the womb? What about babies in the womb? Does God's creative hand apply to them as well? Well, Job 31.15 says, Did not He who made me in the womb make Him and the same one fashion us in the womb at conception? How much clearer can it possibly be? Job 33, verse 4, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Job, over and over again, affirms that God is a source of life from conception. God breathes life into men and women, and man becomes a living soul. Different than animals. Different than angels. 
Look at Psalm chapter Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Just affirming God as a source of life. Psalm 22 and verse 9. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the what? From the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts, upon you I was cast from birth, literally from the womb. You have made, have been my God and my, from my mother's womb. From my very beginning, which was when? From the womb. When in history I became a person, you have always been there, God. You are the source of my life and you are my sustainer. Our lives are in the palm of God's hands. Psalm 100 and verse 3. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us. And not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Look at Psalm 139 and verse 13 with me. Psalm 139, one of the most beautiful psalms. Top five for me of the psalms. I always like to rank my favorite passages. Psalm 139, it's got to be up there. Maybe for you, Brad Kelly, as you study through the book of Psalms, Psalm 139 is one of those top psalms, right? Psalm 139, verse 13. Look at these beautiful, this beautiful language in the psalmist's heart. For you formed my inward parts, literally my kidneys, my innermost being. Does not get any more intimate than that, right? These are words of tender, loving care to our Creator. You formed my inward parts, literally my kidneys. You wove me in my mother's womb. Like a skillful craftsman, God has fashioned each and, every one of, each and every one of us uniquely. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. What beautiful words of praise. Words that accentuate the direct involvement of a beautiful and precious Creator who has fashioned us in the womb. Again, notice, beloved, and take note that in all of these passages and many others that we can look at, the divine activity of God is ever present here. God is the creator. God is the maker. God is the master. He is the craftsman. He is our life source. Nowhere in these texts does it, does it say that human beings create other human beings and thus have the right uh, to privacy or autonomy and then proactively being involved or engaged in taking somebody else's life. Precisely because no one is responsible for any human life in a direct way, right? God Almighty creates every single human being coming into this world. And if you want to take it even further beyond that, He has preordained your life from before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. This is why, listen to me, at its root, abortion... The decision to do that, to support abortion, is idolatry at its heart. Idolatry. It is people in the name of their right to choose, in their right to personal privacy, in the name of their right to govern their own bodies, trying to take the throne that belongs to God alone. Abortion at its root, at its core, is idolatry because it, it, it pretends and suppresses the truth of God who has claims over your life and you have not given life to anyone. Thus, you cannot be autonomous. You are under God. 
People that deceive themselves into thinking that they have their, the right to take a life as if they were God themselves. There is only one source of life, beloved. It is Almighty God. And He does whatever He pleases. He's sovereign over everything, big thing, little things in this universe. He's sovereign over a human life. This is why Job cries out in Job 121, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He who creates is he who holds all rights to every human life, and he is unrivaled in his rightful claims over our lives. Unrivaled. This is why Romans 9.21 says, does not, the, does not the potter have a right over the clay? God is the potter. We are the clay. We simply cannot, as Plato in the hands of God, look back and say, God, why have you made me this way? Or why don't I have the choice in this matter of ending a human life? We don't have that right. God is the source of human life. And anyone, beloved, who takes a life or is an accomplice to doing that, to canceling others, to having an abortion, is a murderer. A murderer. And the Bible condemns murderers. The Old Testament prescribed the death penalty for murder, did it not? Exodus 21, Leviticus chapter 24. The sixth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 13. Thou shall not, what? Murder. Thou shall not kill. Proverbs 6, 16. There are six things which the Lord hates, yet seven which are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And who is more innocent than unborn babies as far as life goes on this earth in human history? Unborn babies. The other truth that stands out, I've already mentioned it about these verses that we've read, is the intimate language used to describe God's loving care in forming and fashioning every single person, right? Forming us in the womb. As, listen to me, a real person. A real life. These verses that talk about us being in the womb and God fashioning us in the womb um, don't describe God's activity in the womb as, as Him forming a thing, a piece of flesh or matter, a nothingness, an it. It's describing the fact that God is forming and fashioning a person, beloved. A human being from the womb. And you see, there are those today who want to say that the fetus in the womb is a nothingness. Some kind of unformed substance that's, that po- can't possibly be considered a person, a human being yet. So there are great debates over when that happens in the womb. When does this it become a person? Well, we unequivocally say this. The Bible says that from conception, there is a person already born and is worthy of life. Amen? That's what the Word of God says, and we affirm it, no matter what the culture around us says. This is a central question in the abortion debate. When does life begin? When does life begin? It begins in the womb. And if you want to take it even further than that, in the eternal decree of God, 
whereby he predestined you to be coming into human history and being born into this world. Even before conception, God Almighty, the source of all life, planned that you would be here born into human history. Think about that. No human in time then has the right to undo what God has decreed before time, from before the foundation of the world. Some people say, okay, Bible thumper Hernandez, Bible thumpers, believers, born again believers, but do you have scientific proof for me from the great philosophers and scientists of today who really know what's up? Rather than you evangelical Bible thumpers, do you have some proof for me from the medical experts of today? And the answer is, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Because science and philosophy only affirms that which the Bible already says, beloved. It doesn't deny it at all in one way, shape, or in any way, shape, or form. We do. That from the womb, there is a person already there. Person already there. See, some people say it is unscientific to think this way, but they ignore the facts. Upon fertilization, a new distinct organism exists that did not exist before. There's a new little organism that has its own DNA distinct from the mother and the father. That little being in there is a unique person with its particular DNA, undisputably human, with human makeup, if you will, with a soul already. With a soul. So listen to some of the leading medical giants, if you will. By the way, not Christians, by the way. Listen to what they say. Keith L. Moore, a world-renowned embryologist, says this. A zygote, which is a fertilized egg, is the beginning of a new human being. Human development begins at fertilization, the process during which a male gamete unites with a female gamete to form a single cell called called a zygote. This highly specialized, totipotent cell marks the beginning of each one of us as a unique individual person. End quote. The father of modern genetics... Dr. Jerome Lejeune told the lawmakers this, quote, to accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. It is a plain experimental evidence. Each individual has a very neat beginning at conception. Dr. McCarthy Demir Medical doctor and law professor at the University of Tennessee testified this, quote, the exact moment of the beginning of personhood, of personhood, and of the human body is at the moment of conception, of conception. These are so-called experts in their medical fields. And they affirm, listen to me, that which the Bible already says in the simplest of terms. But we in our arrogance and our pride and our human depravity are always questioning back at God. Has God really said that? Has God really said that? Let us explore via our our human man-made concoctions of knowledge and philosophy and the medical field, the truth. Because there's something God has not clearly spoken to us and made clear in His Word What these individuals are saying, beloved, is exactly what the Word of God already affirms. 
That from conception there is a human being there worthy of life. And we ought to protect that little human life at all costs. In case you want more, Alfred Bongiani, professor of pediatrics and obstetrics at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine, writes this, quote, I am no more prepared to say that these early stages represent an incomplete human being than I would be to say that the child prior to the dramatic effects of puberty is not a human being. I have learned from my earliest medical education that human life begins at the time of conception. End quote. Dr. Landrum Shettles, sometimes called the father of in vitro fertilization, notes this. Conception confers life and makes that life one of a kind. End quote. Conception. Beloved, the point is... Pro-abortion is as anti-scientific as it gets. Look at the facts. Even from a secular standpoint, if you will. The claim that helpless babies can be murdered in the womb because they don't have personhood, they're not a person, is ludicrous and unscientific if you want to pull that card for your arguments. Consider the great hypocrisy of lawmakers who support abortion rights, who prosecute individuals, by the way, who have attacked pregnant women for double murder, they're prosecuted. But then we show our hypocrisy by giving mothers a right to kill their unborn children. Think about that one. We prosecute a woman with a child, or a a murderer who kills a woman who's pregnant for double murder because we consider that life in the womb a, a real life. But we're willing to say that abortion is not murder? What hypocrisy is that and inconsistency? We as Christians, lovingly, graciously, with compassion, need to be equipped to give those arguments, beloved. To highlight the inconsistencies of the secular worldview. God is the source of life. He's sovereign. None of us are autonomous. And to not acknowledge this is to live under the present wrath of God, according to Romans 1, beloved. Under that present wrath. So note, the Bible reminds us that abortion is sin because of the source of all of life, who is God, the Creator. And human beings simply are not autonomous. But second, abortion is sin because of the uniqueness of human life. Because of the uniqueness of human life. You know, I I scratch my head these days. And I become so concerned that one of the evidences to me of a demented and warped society that has been that with a depraved mind is our, our fixation on animal rights. Today you are more likely to get a hostile response to somebody being cruel to an animal than somebody being cruel to a human being. I'm not advocating that we should treat animals badly. I'm not advocating that we should not love animals. Right? But what I'm saying is these human beings and animals simply don't compare. And in our demented, warped society, now we're blurring the lines between animals and humans these days. And this is a terrible, destructive sin, beloved. For the Bible tells us that man is the crown of God's creation. And human life is to be treated with dignity, with respect, because of the Creator. The Bible reminds us that human beings are unique. And I want you to see this and be reminded again from Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. 
We looked at this passage more extensively a few weeks ago when we were talking about men's and women's roles. But listen to Genesis 1.26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We've seen the fact that being made in the image of God for human beings means at the very basic level that we have been given the God-given right to rule and be the caretakers of God's creation. To be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. That is what it means to be made in the image of God. And here, Moses, early on as he pens Genesis, wants us all to know that human beings are unique, made in the image of God. Look at verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All human beings are made in the image of God. And to be made in his image means that we are, we are creatures unique We are not animals. Not even angels measure up, if you will. They long to see the things that we human beings long to look at as with regards to truth. We're unique. Not because there's anything inherently worthy in us, but simply because of God's beautiful goodness shown toward us as human beings. We are created human, creative human beings. We have intellectual capacities, the ability to think. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. We have, we have the ability to feel emotions and affections and passions. We have the ability to make decisions. We have volitional capabilities. Those are, part, those are aspects of what it means to be made in the image of God. Animals don't have those capacities. You have animals of your own. Being made in God's image implies, beloved, personhood. Personhood. As our triune God has personhood, so we, his, his created human beings, have personhood. Animals don't have personhood. Angels don't have personhood in the same way. Because they are not made in the image of God, but every human being is. And that is why there is the death penalty for those who take a life. We see this early on in the example of Cain and Abel, right? But look at Genesis chapter 9. You're already there. Just a few pages over to your right. Genesis chapter 9. God speaking to Noah. Verse 5 of chapter 9. Surely, God says to Noah, I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. But why? Why, Lord? What makes us different than, than animals? For in the image of God, he made man. That's the huge, massive difference. Because we are like no other of his creatures. We are unique by his own sovereign choice and goodness. That is humbling, isn't it? Psalm 8 speaks of this. The psalmist is is ascribing majesty to God as he considers God's creation and as he contemplates God's majesty. He's astounded that God would place man in such a prominent place by his own choosing in light of the majesty of God. What is man that you take thought of him? Or the son of man 
The psalmist, as he reflects upon the majesty of God, says, Who are we in light of your greatness and your glory to have this, this special place as your creatures? Men are made in the image of God. And beloved, listen, this failure to understand the significance of men being made in the image of God has led to horrifying devaluing of human life. Children are now a burden and a curse to many people to be avoided rather than cherished and treasured. But we who trust God and who believe His Word and take His Word for what it says... Stand firm by the conviction that all children are a gift of the Lord. Every child. Psalm 127 verse 3. Behold, says the psalmist, children are a gift of the Lord. A heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man or woman whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Every human life is a gift of God, beloved. Every human being made in the image of God. A gift to you as a parent of God's goodness. His gift. What about the special needs kids? What about those with deformities who are born into this world? Are they made in the image of God? Are they God's gift to us as well? The answer is yes, absolutely. Preach it. Amen. Right? They are as well. God has made them too. Listen to God's, what God says to Moses in Exodus 4 verse 11. Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him dumb or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Is it not I, the Lord? God makes all people beloved. Every single person is created in the image of God and for His glory and for our good. And so the argument from poor pro-abortionist advocates that a life is not worth living because of, of the fact that a special needs child or a child with a deformity will lack quality of life. And so we're, making, we're giving them a gift by taking them out on, on this earth is a lie. That is a lie from hell. Deception at its core. Children who are special needs with deformities or physiological problems are also made in the image of God. Listen to me, what is abnormal for you and I is absolutely, perfectly normal to God, their Creator. Perfectly normal. And He has created them that way for His glory and for our good as we learn life lessons from them. I can tell you right now that we have a special needs little girl, four years old, she is a blessing. She has many, many needs. But I can look at lessons that I've learned as a father and as a husband, and so can my family that we've talked about, that we've learned from her having watched her grow in the midst of her special needs. We would not have been in position to learn the lessons as a family that we have learned if we didn't have her. We can testify to this. So even children that are made that are, have special needs, are worthy of life and made in God's image. 
See, even in our marred and broken condition, beloved, with sin, in a broken world, we are still creatures made in the image of God. This is why James 3.9 speaks of the importance of taking care how we use our words to hurt others. And the reason given why we should be careful to not use our words to destroy other human beings is because they are made in the likeness of God. And thus worthy of being treated with dignity, with respect, because they're made in the likeness of God. Every human life, beloved, is to be treated with dignity because human beings were created by God uniquely made in the image of God now with this basic biblical foundation how can we as Christians in the midst of this corrupt dark world stand for the value of human life what can we do what can we do because I think far from being disengaged and passive and aloof, ignorant of the current issues of today, beloved, Christians are called to be engaged with what's going on without losing the gospel, right? Engage with, engaging the culture without losing the gospel. I think we have examples of that in the Bible. Jesus' own life. Engaging the culture around him without losing the gospel. And he was the personified good news. Paul, Acts 17 at the Areopagus, with the philosophers of that day who were worshiping an unknown God. And he says, you know what? You're worshiping the unknown God. Let me tell you about that God. Boom. This is who he is. He engaged people. We are called and are making disciples to engage the culture, beloved, with the truth of the word of God and the truth of the gospel, not to be aloof to it. So what can we do? First of all, be continually renewed by the truth. Be continually renewed by the truth. Isn't that what Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 2 says? Verse 2 of Romans 12 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing your mind according to the truth of what the Word of God says. What does the Bible say about this particular issue should be your question. What does the Bible in principle say about this other particular issue? Should we... We should be asking that question that only science can uh, confirm to be absolutely true from God's word. We should affirm from the scripture that every human life is valuable and precious to the Lord. That God is the source of life. That every human being is made in the image of God. We just looked at the truth of the word of God. We were renewed this morning by the word of God. But we should also be reminded that God of God's character And how he responds to those who take life. He's a just God and a merciful God. He is a protector of the defenseless, isn't he? And he wants his people to be the same. To protect those who cannot defend themselves. He expects his people to show mercy. And for us to speak forth the truth as we're renewed in the spirit of our minds by the truth. And to be reminding this culture that no, God is the one who gives life. And no one has the right to take it away. Be renewed by the truth, beloved. Know what the Bible has to say about these issues. Secondly, as you're renewed by the truth, be aware of the culture. I've alluded to this already. Recently, I took a class at the seminary, a winner on the, on the Protestant Reformation from a professor named Carl Truman. And one of the most insightful things that he said, and I affirm, 
is that more than ever before, Christians need to be aware of their culture. Not just for awareness sake, he said, but also so that you will have biblical answers for why something is wrong from God's perspective. Gone are the days, beloved, where we can simply just give pat answers that were accepted before. We need to know the truth biblically and know the arguments for why the truth of God is real. And be able to engage our culture, expose deception, and speak with conviction on these current issues. We must not be ignoramuses, beloved, who don't know what's going on around us. Know the truth of the Word of God first, and then know what's going on out there so that we engage people with the truth. That's part of our disciple-making, isn't it? To give a defense for the hope that is in us. Especially as we pass these things on to the next generation of kids and youth. Passing that baton on. Listen, Satan is the father of lies. The same old lies of old are in today's present culture, beloved. But now he's packaging them in different ways, isn't he? We need to be able to expose them with the truth. Unpackage them. Break them down and show people the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Third, participate in and support ministries that stand for and affirm human life. You know, on the one hand, Christians are not to participate in fleshly protests. I see a lot of believers doing that. Or verbal onslaughts on social media against the evil of abortion or other issues. Listen, the evil of this world of abortion or other issues, beloved, or the devaluing of life does not give you and I as believers license to be sinful and fleshly and hateful in the name of Christian protest. Let's be careful with that. On the other hand, be informed and participate and support ministries that are gospel-oriented and credible with finances that are given for particular causes. That uphold human life, Abort 73, one of our supported ministries. Get on their webpage, subscribe, be informed, and support that ministry, beloved. Support that ministry. Look to get involved with ministries like Avenue's Pregnancy Clinic. What do they do? They help and counsel women coming in who are, who are pregnant. They're considering abortion. And what do they do? They provide them with options, do they not? $28 pays for an ultrasound for a young lady who is considering in the midst of her despair and she thinks that she simply can't do this, provides an ultrasound for her to see that little ba- beautiful baby in the womb. Force her to stop, look, and listen to God speak to her. To so see the beauty of that little human life and ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Get involved with these kinds of ministries, beloved. Fourthly, consider adoption. Consider adoption. Maybe the Lord has called you to really prayerfully consider this ministry. Or maybe God has called you to be actively praying for, supporting, coming alongside of those who have adopted. All over Scripture we see that God is concerned for the fatherless, and we should be concerned for the fatherless as well, beloved. And one way for us to combat the satanic slaughter of children on this earth is to take these unwanted children from a human perspective into our homes. At one time, I love the fact that Calvary has a passion for this. Some 50 plus people in our congregation in some way, shape or form were or are involved in foster care or adoption. 
What a beautiful thing that is. I commend you folks who are doing this. I'm so humbled to watch your testimonies of how you have taken these little ones in and others of you who are considering it. We need to support them and pray for them in tangible ways. By the way, did you know that the abortion rate has actually fallen to its lowest since the Supreme Court legalized abortion? It's lowest. I want to believe that part of that is because of the efforts of Christians who who are taking some of these children in, who are giving these women an option. We will adopt your child if you have that baby. I want to believe that. Debates have intensified on this issue. Initiatives to accentuate the value of human life have grown. Beloved, it matters what we do, doesn't it? It matters. But we need to do it in a Christ-honoring way, in a way that exudes the, the love of Christ, that becomes a platform even in our attitude and our approach and our response to those things, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and where the hope is. Fifth, pray. Pray for the least of these in our society, beginning with those in our church. Pray for orphans and widows. Pray for mothers who are killing their babies in our society. Pray for fathers who are abandoning their families. Pray for children who are being molested or abused or harmed. Pray for the elderly who are being abandoned in retirement homes, who are not visited, who are lonely and not cared for. Pray for the orphans and the widows amongst us and consider how you can come alongside of them under mercy ministry here. All of these categories of people, beloved, have to do with upholding human life, you see, not just abortion. And we ought to be actively involved. All of these individuals are important to God and they need to be important to us. Single moms amongst us. Those who are in those difficult situations as well. Listen, the worst kind of hatred is indifference and neglect toward those who are most helpless among us and in our society. Indifference. Lethargy, complacency. You sitting there out there right now, I hope and I pray that none of you have tuned me out in this message. Because you would then fall under the category of a complacent, passive person who's indifferent. That is the worst kind of hatred, you know. Sixth, preach the gospel, both to yourself and to others. Preach the gospel. Listen, no one is outside of the reach of the grace of God, beloved. No one. No one. And can I say this? For any of you who are thinking about doing this, or who know somebody who is thinking about having an abortion... You need to repent of that mentality. And you need to call them to repentance. And you need to share this message with them. And you need to use this message to share Christ with them and remind them of the fact that there is hope in Jesus Christ. It is very possible that even here in our congregation, some of you in here have committed abortions. Very possible. I want you to know, beloved, if you are a believer... Or if you are not a believer, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ, isn't there? There is forgiveness. Whether you have been directly involved in an abortion or you've counseled someone to have an abortion, if you are broken over your sin before a holy God and cry out to Him, He will forgive you. God forgives the greatest of murderers. The greatest of murderers when broken and contrite before him who plead to him to be forgiven are covered by the blood of the lamb. He's merciful and gracious. But you must cry out to him. 
You must cry out that He would forgive you and trust in Jesus Christ, the one who took your punishment, the wrath of God for you in your place for your sin upon Himself as your substitute. He is the sufficient sacrifice for sins. Trust in Jesus Christ. See, the gospel is good news for the worst of sinners, isn't it? All of us can attest to that. And even for some of us who haven't murdered somebody, but are here and have not repented of our sins, there are other destructive sins that we are engaged in. Even moralism, thinking that we can earn our way to heaven. God can forgive you if you cry out to him. Trust in Jesus Christ this morning. So, beloved, let us preach the gospel to ourselves and to others, right? That the light of Christ may shine brightly in the midst of this dark world. Amen? Let me pray for us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, O Lord, You are a good God. You are a merciful God. O Lord, You've lavished Your goodness upon us, even granting us life. Help us to uphold human life and the dignity of life because you are the great creator who in your goodness has put us here. We are made in your image. How precious that is, Lord. We cry out like the psalmist in Psalm 8. What is man that you take thought of him? Or the son of man that you even take notice of him? That you have made him a little lower than the angels and crown him with glory and strength. Lord, thank you. We don't deserve that. We're wicked sinners. Apart from your grace in Jesus Christ, none of us can be forgiven. None of us can be made right with you. And so, Father, thank you. Help us as an act of worship to you as, and as those who imitate your mercy and your word to, Lord, uphold human life in all aspects of life and all of these issues that were named. We ask you all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.